In this episode, I review some polyvagal fundamentals around autonomic responses. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist who is obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This episode should be safe. Uh, We're just covering some fundamentals that I think we need to return to these every now and then. And these are some fundamentals on polyvagal theory, specifically around the autonomic nervous system. Now, learning some of this stuff and building knowledge and, and having a new narrative or framework for our lives can be enlightening, but it could also be kind of triggering. So please do put yourself first. I'm not going to go into like details of trauma or anything like that. But, you know, just learning this stuff can uh, some bring up some old stuff within you as well. I'm on my website, justinlmft.com, and I'm using my blog. I have a blog here that is called Autonomic Responses Versus Behavioral Adaptations. And I talked about behavioral adaptations and substance use, I I think it was a few episodes ago. And I thought it was important to talk more about what autonomic responses is, and specifically because I think it seems like people get these mixed up, where an autonomic response versus a behavioral adaptation or how we generally respond to trauma is kind of how people say. We respond to trauma in flight, fight, freeze, shut down, fawn. Um, I've heard of friend. I don't know, a whole bunch of Fs. And we look at that and say, these are a set or it's a re- the realm of possibilities of how people respond to trauma. And when they say trauma, they're referring to the event. But in polyvagal terms, this doesn't really play. So when it comes to the event, that's not the trauma in polyvagal terms. The trauma is how your body responds, what your autonomic response is, and what where it's stuck in its response. So it's shifting into a defensive response, which then gets stuck in that defensive response. So yes, there are behavioral components that come along with an autonomic response. But when we say autonomic response, we're talking specifically about the biology of the person. Not not exactly their behavioral way of coping with what they went through. I think it's a subtle distinction, but I think it's a pretty darn important one. So let's let's we'll dr- drill down farther here. What is an autonomic response? What the heck am I talking about here? An autonomic response specifically is a shift in the autonomic nervous system that comes along with a neuroception of safety or danger. Not just danger, but also safety. Now what this means is neuroception is a term that Dr. Porges created really to explain how an organism responds to safety or danger. For human beings, we get input, we get cues from the external environment, so things outside of us, but also the internal environment, things within us like hunger, pain. We get these input, all this data comes in, and it gets filtered through our our brainstem, basically, as best I can put it. And then that data, as it's filtered, we have our biological, our pathways are hardwired or pre-programmed to respond to some things in certain ways. So neuroception is, is that. It's that unconscious process of taking in data through the senses, the five senses, 
but also the internal environment. You taking that that data, and then it goes through some like deep brainstem. And it, my my knowledge when it comes to this is is I can only go so far as a therapist, <laughs> but it ba- basically passes through some the brainstem, then utilizes the autonomic nervous system in response to that safety or danger. It shifts based on on how much safety or how much danger is present. So from the external environment, the trigger for the autonomic response could be a safety cue, like seeing a smile from somebody else. That smile from another person is hardwired into into our mammalian biology to be a cue of safety, that when we see a smile, that tells our biology that the mammal giving the smile is safe, that we can approach them, that we can become closer to them physically. But when we see something like wide eyes, flat affect, meaning the facial muscles aren't being used, or if you hear someone that loses something called vocal prosody, which is the sing-songy quality of the voice, the ability to go up and down. If, if you hear someone who has more, more of a monotone voice like this and they're just asking you how you're feeling, how's your day, when you lose that vocal prosody, that is a cue of danger to the list to the person hearing that 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 mammal who has lost their vocal prosody or or has wide eyes or lost their facial affect those though that data coming in through our eyes and our ears is interpreted is hardwired to be interpreted as danger that mammal is not safe that mammal is in their own flight or fight system potentially so our biology reacts to that. So again, as best I'm understanding it, so when we, when we neurocept these cues of safety or danger, our brainstem utilizes the autonomic nervous system to adjust our physiology. So the autonomic nervous system is responsible for everything that we don't have to think about. It's responsible for the unconscious things like breathing, heart rate, blood pressure, digestion, sweating. All these things that we don't have to think about, the autonomic nervous system controls all of that stuff, right? So when we neurocept safety or danger, what's happening is that our autonomic nervous system is being hijacked and shifted. The word hijack fits for me. I, don't, I, I always use that word. I like, I like to use that word. It, and then is, is shifting up and down the polyvagal ladder. It's a whole other concept as well. I'm assuming you know this by now, sorry. If not, I can go over it again. But I, I do have episodes and blogs about this as well. So we neurocept cues of safety or danger, and then our biology, our, our autonomic nervous system, shifts into defensive behaviors or into pro-social behavior. And then we, our behavior changes after that as well. So if we shift into our flight energy, then we're able, to, we're going to be running or potentially, or at least have the energy to run. If we shift up the ladder into our safe and social state, then we have access to behaviors like smiling and laughter and hugging. There's tons of data coming in through our senses, right? It's constantly being filtered. We are constantly neurocepting for safety or danger as just as organisms that have the biological imperative to survive. We are constantly scanning for safety or danger. Un- un- Unconsciously, though. So if we're in a situation where we cannot be safe and social, we drop 
down our polyvagal ladder into our flight energy. This is like after we pick up on a danger cube. Then we that energy comes up. And if we can't escape the situation, if we can't run away, then we drop further down into our fight energy so that we can, you know, fight off, throw, pick things up, push. It, but if we can't aggress upon whatever the danger is, then we drop further down into our shutdown energy, which is this immobilization collapse. These are th This is the sequence of autonomic shifts. None of this is planned out. None of this is conscious. No one's choosing to do these things. It's autonomic. And there are specific pathways that govern these autonomic responses. These are unconscious reactions. Just like you type in something into a keyboard and the computer responds based on what is input into it. So very similar, I, I hate to boil us down to computers, but in a very similar way, there are kind of universal things. Now, each one of us is individual and different than each other, but there are some universal things that mammals, but human mammals, respond to in particular. So that we do have this sort of software within us, and I don't know how to discuss that further, but there is this sort of program or software within us, right? Things like loud sounds. We each of us is going to react to a loud sound, an unexpected loud sound. We're going to have, we're going to drop down out of our safety state into our flight fight energy. Our our face goes flat, our eyes go wide, and we sort of like pause for a moment and we become really still, right? I think you know being confined in tight spaces generally is something that is going to bring us down the ladder down down the ladder darkness flat affects not see, seeing someone who doesn't have uh, facial use of their facial muscles monotone voices like i said earlier wide eyes unsafe touch someone intruding on your space i think these are kind of universal pretty universal potential cues of danger that human mammals have i don't, I don't know about other mammals but for human mammals, yeah, these are kind of like things that send us down the ladder out of our safety state. Yeah, one more than another, of course. I, we're all we're all individuals, so but these are just generalizations. And you know, culture is going to play into that. Distress tolerance is going to play into that. Um, wherever wherever you're at on your polyvagal ladder, that's going to play into that. But just generally, so th these are unconscious biological shifts and it's in a sequence of events if you can't again if you can't be safe you drop down into flight your sympathetic flight energy if you can't be if you can't run away drop down to fight if you can't fight it off you drop down to shut down it's a sequence of events that all of us go through or could go through it's it's unconscious sequence of events not a conscious menu of options that we choose from so when we're in these situations nobody's planning how to handle these these potentially traumatic events nobody's thinking and planning these things out and debating on how they should respond to whatever's happening it's it's unconscious it's not a menu of options so i already listed the the autonomic sequence of events but and that those are the primary autonomic states there's the ventral vagal safe and social state and that's the ventral vagal pathways from the brainstem. There's the sympathetic flight fight system. And then there's the dorsal vagal shutdown system. So that's the primary states with the primary, they have their own primary pathways or, or biological pathways. 
just like there's primary colors like red, not like red, but there's primary colors which are red, blue, and yellow. So we have our primary states. We also have primary colors. And I don't, I'm not trying to like assign colors to the states, but just the concept of primary. They exist on their own. They, they simply exist. They have their own function. You can't really mix anything to get them. They simply, they're, they're already there. And just like the primary colors, you can mix those to get secondary colors. If you mix blue and yellow, you get green. Green is the secondary color, right? When you mix the primary autonomic states, you can get what I call mixed states. Or what Dr. Porges would call, I, th I think he calls them mixed states. So when you, mi when you mix or have active at the same time the safe and social state, when you have that active along with the flight fight state, so when you have those two pathways active at the same time, that results in a mixed state uh, of play. It's called play. That's being very mobilized but safe, so we call that play. When you have the safe and social state active or pathways active along with the dorsal vagal shutdown, the shutdown state, that, Im that immobilized collapse state. So when you feel safe, but immobile, that's a mixed state that Dr. Porges calls stillness. And the last mixed state is the sympathetic flight fight pathways active along with the dorsal vagal shutdown pathway. And that results in a highly charged but immobile freeze state. So when, in polyvagal theory, when we say freeze, that's what we're talking about. And that's different than the, the limp shutdown. So we have our primary autonomic states and then the mixed or secondary autonomic states. When we talk about autonomic responses then, that's what we're talking about is, is the pathways that are active is the pathways that are active based on neuroceptions of safety or danger. That's a heck of a lot different than a behavioral adaptation, which is a behavior that we engage in as a way to cope with being stuck in one of those defensive pathways, being stuck in an autonomic response. When we're stuck in a defensive autonomic response for a long time, then we can engage in behavioral adaptations, which is a way, and again, I did an episode on this not too long ago, just a few episodes ago. It's a way to cope with that energy because it's too much and the, the individual is unable, at least at that time, to self-regulate back up to their safe and social state. But they have all this energy, this uh, defensive energy within them or they're having a hard time allowing the defensive energy to return like from shutdown into their fight energy. So fawn in particular, the behaviors of fawn is really, it seems to me like more of a behavioral adaptation. There is no fawn biological pathway that is activated. Remember the, the primary and the mixed states that I talked about earlier are directly connected to specific biological pathways. I hope that makes sense. That is the basic difference between autonomic responses and behavioral adaptations. 
and hopefully a little bit more of an in-depth look into autonomic responses. The key here is that it's unconscious. It seems to be something that is just hardwired into us, the us that is like the organism of us. The the really just biological drive to survive piece of us that would be there even if we didn't have our conscious selves. So the, these responses, these autonomic shifts are simply, seems like it's hardwired into us and still activate constantly, day in, day out. They're always scanning for safety or danger. And these autonomic responses are happening day after day after day, day in, day out, all day. You might not notice them because you're probably too up in your conscious self, not just you, all of us. But it it is happening. When you interact with a coworker that's a jerk, you're probably having some sort of autonomic shift. You when you feel like anxiety, when you feel like you want to get out of that situation, you're probably tapping into your flight energy. You might not be actually running away, but you might be tapping into that flight energy. That that system's coming on. It's coming to life. It's it's an autonomic response to that detection or perception or the neuroception of danger. When you come out of quarantine and you see people for the first time or loved ones and you feel that impulse to hug them, that's an autonomic autonomic response. You're you're activating your safe and social state, which instantaneously compels you to come closer to the person and hug them or shake their hand or just smile and greet them. That system's coming on. You're not choosing to smile. You're not really choosing to hug. That impulse is just there, right? If you really think about it, yeah, we, I guess we do choose to hug. We do choose to smile, but that's more of like, you just sort of have to in these socially awkward situations. And you're just like, oh, hi, happy to see you, you know, kind of thing like I do at every potluck I ever have to go to. But I don't, but my system's not active. I'm just sort of like, uh uh-huh, hey, hey, everybody. But when my system is active, I don't choose to smile. I don't choose to have more prosody in my voice. I don't choose to sit close to someone that that is a friend of mine. I just do it. But when my system's not active, I can maybe fake it, but I'm really more of my defensive energy. I'm just faking it. It's a lot different, right? And that, I think it's a good example of the autonomic response, the genuine autonomic response versus a behavioral adaptation. Like faking it could be a way to mask like how uncomfortable we are, to mask the insecurity or the anxiety of having to interact with people. <laughs> so ideally, we're anchored in our, our state of ventral vagal safety and social engagement. And no, it's not easy. And I don't think we should realistically expect that to be happening 100% of the time. Maybe not even 90% of the time. I don't know. It's not going to be a full-on, you're hugging everybody, you're smiling all the time. But we want to be, we want to have enough access to that state so that the defensive energy, the flight fight energy is not out of control. We want to have enough access to our safe and social state so that we can come out of our shutdown, that immobilization state, and into our powerful fight energy, and then flight, and then more into our safe and social state. 
we we want to be anchored in that state as much as possible to just to deal with the stresses of life day in day out so i'm not expecting anyone to be there 100 percent of the time every day that's ridiculous it's it's not probably not an achievable goal as best i know but i do think a goal that each of us could have is that we can access it more and more we can practice being in that state we can build a firmer anchor there and that's what building safety anchors is all about it's the course that i made it's 30 days to help you become more and more able to access your safe and social state to be able to access the present moment feel what safety feels like experience what safety feels like for you because it's it's very individuated and it's for 30 days i plan out for you what to learn what to practice uh, and there's a few journal prompts in there but it's a, it's a very regimented but individualized 30 days there's lots of room for individual exploration there i mean really it needs to be because it's your nervous system i, I can't tell you what to do i don't think it works that way i think that i can guide and teach and then you take that and apply it to your specific life. And that's what, in those 30 days, that's what I help people to do is, is to figure out, okay, what for me, now that I've learned this, what for me feels right? And so I kind of help people with, with feeling that out, practicing things, ruling th- some things in and some things out. It's called Building Safety Anchors. It's on justinlmft.com. And I'll have a link in the description. I really hope you like this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it means a lot. Bye.